it's uh, great to be able to go into God's Word. As we talked, we prayed this morning, we had a great time of praise and worship, and then remembering that the reason that we come here is because we do have a real God. The God of time and of space, of history. He's a God who truly exists, and He's good at His very core. And that's something as followers of His, I think it's so important for us to really cling to and hold to. Uh, that if we lose that foundation, well, then we kind of become untethered. And I don't know about you, but uh, this world is a, is a crazy place, right? It's, it's, kind of, uh, it's kind of like a raging sea, or like when we had those floods and the water would come up and just kind of take everything that was orderly and make it chaotic, and everything we thought we could count on kind of just washed away. Uh, that's what this world kind of does, doesn't it? And we have to have a bedrock, we have to have a foundation, we have to have something for us to hold to, because in the midst of this crazy world, it, it's easy to feel like we've just become <laughs> untethered or washed away. Uh, it's easy to get frustrated, right? Uh, it seems like we build these mighty castles, and then the world comes in and knocks them all down, and realize they're kind of like castles of sand, you're like, oh, I just did this, right? I worked so hard at all of this, and I was gone. Uh, it's, uh, we work on relationships and then something crazy happens and somebody gets offended and then they get all mad at us and whatever, right? That we, we work really hard at building a career and then the economy does something weird and then you're like, whoa, right? It's easy to get frustrated in this life. Uh, you know, I, I just think about, I've been working really hard at, at trying to get in better health. My doctor told me, he's like, you, you have to take blood pressure medicine. I was like, I don't ever want to take blood pressure medicine if I don't ever have to. So I've been like working really, really hard. I get up early in the morning and do all of that kind of stuff. And then you know what happens as soon as I get into a rhythm? I'll get like cold. You know how defeating that is? Because then you like go to the gym and you're like, well, now everybody looks at you. Like you cough like you have like the plague. <laughs> so you can't go there. Like what are you going to do? Right? It's, it's been like the world in so many ways can be a frustrating place. The world can feel like we try so hard in spite of our best efforts. It just kind of comes against us right? In this world, because of that, it's easy to get discouraged. And I think that's why we look at, uh, uh, you know, all the sociological studies and things like this that are coming out in the last 10 years and how they're finding there's just a spike in anxiety disorders, right? Because if you're feeling the anxiety or the, the, the frustration of this world kind of feeling like it can sometimes be against us, you're not alone, right? The world's a it's a wonderful place, but it can be a frustrating place. It can be a discouraging place. It can be a place that causes us to lose hope. And that's a dangerous place to be. The good news is, is that we do have a better foundation. And it's more than just our circumstances. It's more than, than just what's happening or if things are going my way, then God is good when my life is good. It's the reality that God is good all the time, forever, and all the time, even in the hard times, even in the difficulties, even in the frustrations, even in the hardship, even when the storms of life come, God is still good. And because of that, this truth, this powerful reality 
allows us to do something superhuman beyond what culture can explain, beyond what a, a self-help book or, or pop psychology or talking ourselves into having a good attitude or anything else could do. It allows us to actually rise above our present experience and brings us to a place that in spite of what's happening, despite the discouragement or the difficulties or the hardships of this world, we can praise. And there is power in praise. That's why we had our, 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 can, our anchor verse for the series. I hope you've been memorizing it. I really do. You know, at the beginning of this book of Habakkuk, when he sees the world falling apart, <laughs> and he goes to God, he's like, what are you doing? And God answers, he says, see, the enemies are puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Our God does not have a message of death or destruction for his. There is life that he's calling us to. There is a power, there is a, there is a foundation upon which we are to rise above the brokenness of this world. And it is through our faithfulness our loyalty, our, our, our connection to God, the reality that we're not getting off of this rock. We know that our God is faithful. We know our God is loving. We know our God is good. And that's the journey of Habakkuk, right? So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn to Habakkuk 3? That's why this book, I believe, was in Scripture for us. It was written for us, too. And for those, just a reminder, because it was three weeks ago that we started this, and that's a long time to remember, I know. And I know that 95% of what I say on Sunday morning is forgot before you even go to the front door, and that's discouraging, but it's not because it's written for us in the Word, right? So when we see in Habakkuk chapter 1, the prophet, right, he's, he's at the time of, 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 of uh, uh, there was a revival early on in his life. Josiah was king when he was born, right? The country was in a national revival, and they were coming back to God, and then Josiah makes a boneheaded military move and gets killed outside of Megiddo. And the next king comes up, and he's just a bozo. And he puts the country last, and he puts God last. And he, as good as Josiah was, man, he was just as awful. Habakkuk raises up in the midst of this and sees the moral decay, and he's a priest working in the temple of the area, and he's praying to God, and he's got questions. And he starts with these questions, and he's like, God, do you even care? I've been praying. I've been asking. Right? We're trying to do your work. A little help here would be kind of nice. Can you just turn the people's heart around to do the thing that I can't do? And God answers, oh, I do see and I do care. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to discipline my people. I'm going to bring those Babylonians down who are far more wicked than you. So they'll be far more harsh and far more vicious. And trust me, the wicked people in your culture are going to suffer, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm not going to, and you're going to go to captivity to Babylon for a while. It's going to happen. Which led him to wonder and ask the second question, which I think a lot of us do at points in our life. God, do you know what you're doing? Is this really the best way? Because I can think of about a thousand other ways that this could be a lot easier for me. <laughs> right? Why don't you just turn the hearts of your people back to you? That Wouldn't that just be a better way to go about this? <laughs> do you understand how this seems a little inconsistent? Why would you use people more wicked than us to punish the people that are less wicked? That doesn't seem right. Well... Those are common questions, and our God's big enough for the questions. So in chapter 2, Habakkuk then stands, and he listens, and he waits for God. And God answers. 
And he reveals to him a bigger picture. And he says, Habakkuk, you're a part of this. You're part of my plan, but my plan is so much bigger. You're asking for a temporary revival. You had Josiah. You had Josiah, one of the best reformers in the history of the world. You had him as a king. And how long did that revival last? And how big did it spread? And he's like, but I'm going to do this. I'm going I'm to cover the earth with the knowledge of my glory as water covers the sea. I'm going to saturate this world with my goodness. That's going to be a little bit bigger and a little bit more uh, withstanding, long-lasting than any small revival that you're asking for. So I'm answering your prayers, but in a far bigger way. But it's going to require this. This discipline is a necessary part of it. And you don't have to understand it. You just have to trust me. And so chapter 2, we see that Habakkuk didn't just have faith enough to question God. He had faith enough to hear God. And God told him, hey, man, write this down because you're going to need it. Put it in stone because they are going to be difficult days and you're going to need to know what I have to say. You have to see the bigger picture. Write it down. Stay faithful to it and rest in my sovereignty. And Habakkuk did hear from God. And this man who was filled with frustration, this man who was filled with despair, this man who was filled with, with questions and wondering and, and all those types of things, anxiety, after he heard from God, he moves to a place of praise. And so we, we get here to Habakkuk 3.19, it says uh, where uh, Habakkuk actually begins to write his praise. He says this is for the director of music on stringed instruments, right? That he writes this down and he says, all right, uh, Actually, that's Habakkuk 3.1. Uh, he says, uh, you know what? He's going to write a, a song of praise. This is how he literally responds, is by praising God with a literal praise song. It's one of the reasons why we believe that he was a, uh, was a worship pastor in the temple, right? Because he, he begins to write this, right? So he starts with questioning God's care and competence. His circumstances didn't change, by the way. Habakkuk was still in a very broken place, right? The world, like, Babylon was still coming for him. Right? The people were still in moral de decline. Right? And yet, he heard from God, he saw God's purposes, and even though his circumstances hadn't changed, Habakkuk was changed. And that changed everything for him. He went from the valley of despair to the watchtower of listening to the heights of praise. What an amazing journey Habakkuk has taken us on. And so he writes a literal praise song. And his lyrics in this are inspired poetry. They're beautiful, but they also bring about such incredible truths that for us, allows us to be able to take that journey with him back up to the, to the mountaintops of praise. So how does this, this song go? Well, he starts with a prayer. And I love this because have you ever, on a Sunday morning, prayed while you were praising God in those songs? The lyrics resonated with your spirit and you prayed them back to God? Because God doesn't, he doesn't just require us to have a, a certain prayer right before dinner, and we have to say this the only time he listens to us. It's not that we just say the Our Father, and that's the only way that God's going to hear our voices, that God wants us to communicate with him. And he loves to hear from his children. And Habakkuk pours his heart out to his father. And he says, this is, I'm going to start with a prayer. This God, I'm, I'm talking to you. This is not just a poem. This is my heart brought to you. And so when he says, Habakkuk, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, and it has that weird on shiganeth or whatever, how you say that. It's, a, it's a, probably a musical term. We see that in the Psalms as well. 
what it tells us is that he begins with, with a musical prayer. So prayer is communication, right? It's just talking with God, just like when I talk with other people, right? It's a, but prayer, because we're talking to a living God, we're not talking to a dead stone rock. We're not talking to a, a, a philosophical concept. We're talking to a real living God, the being. He is that he is, right? I am that I am. He exists. He hears. He knows. So when we pray, it's a connection to that God. We're, we're sending him uh, our, our hearts and our minds, right? It's a connection to God's heart and his mind as well. It's a declaration of God's presence. You don't talk to somebody who's not there unless you're crazy, right? But when we pray, do you recognize that you are making a declaration to heaven and earth and everybody else that God exists and he's present? Which is pretty powerful because you can't talk to me if I'm not, I mean, we have cell phones, but as long as I have coverage, you can't talk to me unless I'm present. And when you talk, it's a declaration of the great theological truth that God is a God of all time and all space and he's with you. And it's not just that, it's a declaration of, of his love that God wants to hear from you. How audacious of us. These created beings who have gone astray and have committed high treason against the Almighty that we would talk to him at any hour of the day and bring our concerns to him? Why should he care? Because he does. And he proved it by sending his son to this earth who died on a cross for our sins. Has there ever been a greater demonstration of commitment of love? And so if God would die for us, would he also not also listen to his children? And for any of those who have had children of your own or at least somebody very close to you, isn't it the greatest thing when they spend the time just to talk with you? So when you pray, you are declaring God's love that he actually hears you. But you're also giving a declaration to his power. Why talk to God about our problems if he doesn't have the ability to do anything? If God isn't sovereign, if he doesn't have the ability to do anything, then what's, what's the, why would we even bother? Right? I don't call my phone company if I have a problem with my water bill. Right? They can't do anything about it. When I bring and I bring my concerns to God, I'm saying you are powerful. Not only do you love me and you care about this, but I know that you have the ability to do something about it. And Habakkuk brings all of these in this song. A declaration even in the midst of the, what's happening in his world doesn't look right, and he sees God's plan, and it's going to be pretty harsh, and he knows it's going to be difficult. He remembers that God is present, and that God is loving, and God is powerful. And so he's going to talk to that God. And so he appeals to God and his goodness for help. Verse uh, 2, he says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Oh, beautiful way to begin. Right? God's ways truly are awesome. And, and Habakkuk says, you know, I know that you're more than just my experience. You're the eternal God, and I'm just one person. And this is just one particular point in my life. And it's a real point, but this is not the whole story. And I know that you're good because I've heard and I know every good thing that you've done before and those are just as real, right? You, the, the God of history is here and he's now and he is unchanged. 
And so, I know who you are. Yeah, I'd like you to do some good things in our day, (laughs) too. I know that you can. But he also says, God, in wrath, remember mercy. If Babylon has to come, Lord, would you please just make it as least painful as possible? (laughs) Can you remember us? At least you're faithful in this. God's mercy never leaves. God is good. We, in my Bible study, our home group, uh, life group, we just finished the fruits of the Spirit. And one of those is, is uh, kindness, that God always does for us what is best for us. Sometimes that's kind of hard, right? Sometimes he has to bring discipline, so that's kind. Because if anybody's ever met a person who's had kids who never disciplined them, they're not being kind to their kids. We know that because we've seen their kids. They're little feral monsters, Right? But we also see that he's not just kind, but he's gentle. He uses the least amount of force necessary. And so he's appealing to this, God, be merciful. And his mercy never leaves. And as he does that, as he remembers who God is, that he ponders God's ways. Right? He begins with this prayer to God, and he talks to God who he is. Then he begins to remind himself of this God whom he just decided he was praying to, asking him for mercy. And he begins by recalling, and the rest of this song is really just a, a recollection of all of, of what God has done through history because, you know, who he's demonstrated himself historically to be is who he is. And so he begins by recalling God's deliverance from Egypt. In verse 3, he says, God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, his praise filled the earth. Timon was Eden, Edom, it's the area in the... Uh, as they crossed out of Egypt, right, there's a, a certain area kind of in the deserty area, that's where he was. Mount Paran is the Sinai Peninsula, right, that God was there, now was, that's outside of the Holy Land. He has this declaration that God heard them. Even when they were in Egypt, God was bigger than just the God of the Holy Land, which is a big deal because the Egyptians, they had this idea that their gods were kind of localized and the rest of the world had these ideas that gods were localized but he says our god heard us even when we were in captivity and he called us out of that captivity his glory and his praise are global he is the holy one of the entire world and god remembered his people he does not forget he brought them to egypt just like he promised abraham they would go but he brought them out just as he promised abraham he would In verse 5, he says, plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. That's how God brought them out of Egypt, right? He humbled the Egyptian gods. In fact, Caleb and Mark are going to be doing a really great study on that. I think starting next week, is it? That uh, beginning next week, God's at war. And if you want to talk about how God went to war against the false gods of Egypt and how he humbled them completely, you don't want to miss that class. But this is what he did, is he humbled them. He brought the plagues. He showed what the Egyptians thought was the strength of their gods, and he brought them low, and he said, now I am the one true God, and I'm setting my people free. And so God rescued his people, even through difficult things, even through plague, our God was being good. And if God could rescue his people from Egypt, he can rescue them from Babylon as well. And in verse 6 then, As they have that mighty procession out of Egypt, the prophet then remembers, well, what God did at Sinai. And he says this, he stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled. The age-old hills collapsed. 
but he marches on forever. Now remember, this is poetic, right? And we say these, in the time of, 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 of Moses, man, Egypt was power. They were the superpower. They had all the chariots, man. They had all the gold. They had pyramids and all kinds of cool stuff. man. They, they were super strong. They had all the money, all the wealth, all the power. Everything was on their side. And God frees a bunch of nobody slaves from them and destroys their military completely. God brings them to a mountain not where they worship false gods made by gold or stone, but they get to see the world tremble at the, as a, the mountain smokes and, and they could have heard the voice of God. He's real. So after freeing them from Egypt, I tell you what, every other nation in the world, they took note. <laughs> Don't mess with these people. Their God's kind of powerful. And God did shake the earth. He shook it geopolitically, didn't he? He made the superpower weak. And he made the weak very strong. Now he, he shook the world a little bit geographically. Right? He, he changed the whole nature of, of where, all the, where people were going to live. He was going to make his people inhabit the Holy Land, which they hadn't done for hundreds of years. But geologically, he shook it too. I mean, there was literal earthquakes happening at the... Mount Sinai, as the Lord spoke, and it said that the world shook. That our God is powerful in every possible way you can imagine. And he's not just the God of our spirits. He is the God of our, of our flesh as well. He's the God of nature. And he controls it all. And he's powerful. And nothing is outside of his ability to move, even the world. In verses 8 and 9 then, he continues on, and you have this procession from Mount Sinai as God made them a people, and he changed the landscape of everything, of the, of the world as well as of their hearts, and he has them processed to the promised land. And in verse 10, then, we get into a litany of how God has proven himself powerful in battles. Uh, so he says here, the mountains saw you and writhed, torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. And he's describing uh, this victory that the Israelite general Deborah had over Barak. And, and, and uh, it was an amazing battle that you can read about in Judges chapter 4 and 5. And outnumbered, completely going to be destroyed, right? A sudden rainstorm took place and turned the battlefield into a swamp. And though the enemy had all the chariots and all the power, it seemed, all those chariots got stuck in the mud. And were absolutely worthless. And the armies of God were able to charge down from Mount Tabor. They had a running start. And if you go to Israel, you'll see it's a good running start. And they could see exactly where they were and chased them down and destroyed their enemies where they stood. And so he reminds himself that our God fights unfairly. He's got more power. It's not even a balanced fight. And he's creative, by the way. And then he moves from one battle to the next. In verse 11, he says, The sun and the moon stood still in the heavens, and the glint of your flying arrows at the lightning of your flashing spears. Well, he, has this, uh, he brings us to a different story in Joshua chapter 10, where, where Joshua was, uh, had this day where he was going out to have this great battle. And uh, God made the sun stand still in the sky for an entire day. How cool is that? 
I don't know he stopped the rotation of the earth. Or I don't know how God did it, but he, God did it a miracle. He, maybe he made like a time freeze around them. God could do whatever he wants. But all we know is that for an extra day, the sun didn't set until the armies of God had their victory. And so God is God even over time. And he can move it however he wills. In verses 13 through 15, he moves on just poetically and talks about the many victories over Israel's foes that God has given, uh, has given them. That God, even though he allowed difficulties and hardships, he's always brought deliverance. Always brought deliverance. And it's the same God. So he says, God, I remember you. I know your stories. I've heard of your goodness. <laughs> Do today what you've done before. Don't change. And after recalling God's power and faithfulness, he then arrives at a place, uh, a place of praise. And Habakkuk praises God for the next few verses, right, till the end of the psalm, verses 16 through 19. But it wasn't blind praise. Have you ever heard somebody who's just going through like the worst time ever, like everything's you know, happening to them, their life is a country song for a moment, and you talk to them and they have a fake smile, and they're like, hey, yeah, life's good, brother. <laughs> like, no, your life is not good right now. <laughs> like, your life stinks right now. God is good, and you're going to get through this. This is a difficult time. Habakkuk was real. But he goes and he makes, he remembers how good God is. He then goes and prays to God, but he's, he's not fake about it. He starts with how afraid of what he is about what God's going to do. He knows it's necessary. He knows it's good, but it's not going to be pleasant. And he begins, he says this, I heard and my heart pounded and my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. I think the best praise we can bring to God is honest praise. God's not, he's not delusional. And he's not unaware of what's happening in our hearts. And he knows what he's asking us to go through is sometimes not easy. How many times in scripture does Jesus warn us? He says, guess what? If you follow me, you're going to have trouble. <laughs> but take heart. I'll overcome the world. This is not going to last. You're going to be delivered from this. How many times in Scripture says we have troubles, but compared to what's going to come, these are going to be considered light and momentary. But in the moment, they seem pretty awful. Even Jesus, the night before he was executed, was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying and sweating blood. Asking God, if there is any other way, please take this from me. It's okay to look at our circumstances and to be scared of them. That's what gives God the glory that he's going to deliver us through them. Habakkuk had been given a, a pretty hard prophecy. God said, I'm not going to bring revival the way you asked. I'm going to bring a nation that's going to come here. And they're going to kill a lot of you. In fact, Habakkuk probably very well may have been killed in, in the when Babylon came. It, and guess what? Habakkuk is still alive today, right? He, he gets a new body pretty soon. He's pretty excited about that. But it was going to be scary. And his world was going to be turned upside down. And God said, I'm not going to deliver you from this right now. I'm going to deliver you through this. And so he began to 
praise God with honesty, saying, this is, I'm not doing this, God, because I'm not unafraid. I'm very afraid. My circumstances are pretty rough. And you've told me you're not going to save me from my circumstances, and so I'm kind of scared by this. But what does he say? Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. My hope is in your promise, God. If you're going to bring us into Babylon, you're going to bring us out. And the history that I just recalled reminds me that you're the God to do it. And so that's what I'm putting my hope in. And so even though I'm, I'm bringing this, God, I, I need you to help me with my fear and anxiety. I'm clinging to who you are and your promise. We don't praise because God makes our lives easy. Heaven is coming, by the way. Lives can be pretty easy then. But we praise God not because our lives are good. We praise God because he is good. And that's where the good life will eventually will, will follow. Eventually. Wait patiently. Verses 17 through 18, he says, I think one of the most beautiful praise songs in the history of humanity. Because it points not to what God has done right now for me, that my God is my servant, but it points to the fact that rock that we started on, that God is worthy and he is good. All the time. It says, although the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, although there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. How could he get to that point? I think he realized that through this process of questioning God and then realizing God revealed to him the bigger plan and reminded him of who he was. He's like, you know, God, you're always good. And you're working about things together for our good and for your glory. That all of this is not wasted. And I'm part of that plan. And you've never left us nor abandoned us. And you were with your people in Egypt. And you're going to be with us in Babylon. And you're going to be with us to the end until it finally comes to pass. That your glory and the knowledge of your glory covers the entire earth as water covers the sea. Until that happens, you are still good. And the best is yet to come. My praise is not based upon my circumstances. My praise is based upon your presence and who you are. That God is not our vending machine. I had to go through that, right? You were with me, most of you, while you were here. When Amy and I were going through that time, and she was getting sicker and sicker and sicker, and my world was kind of, I didn't know what to do. Everything was getting hard, and I was questioning God, what are you doing? Do you even care? Right? Why aren't you answering my prayers? Right? It was ugly. It was hard. It was terrifying and scary. But before God brought an ease to that and brought us out of that pretty difficult chapter, both Amy and me, and I think Thomas, too, got to a point where we said, you know what? We trust that God's purpose in this. We have prayed. Right? We prayed. We prayed for it to be healed. And if God says no, then he's got a purpose in it. And if he wants to heal her, he could do it any time he wants to. It'd still be nice. But he doesn't have to. And with my career, he could have done whatever he wanted. With our finances, he could do whatever he wanted. But God was going to be good. I had gone to him, and we had prayed, and we had asked him, and we said, God, we're going to be faithful to you. We're not abandoning you no matter what, because you're good and you're worthy. It's just like what Peter said. Hey, listen, you have the word of life. Where else are we going to go? And when you get to that point, when, when your joy is not based upon your circumstances, you rise above the waves of this world in a way that nothing can take you down. 
You stop being anxious by the, the craziness of this world. You can see the storm clouds, but you stand above them. So let the rain come. Let it come. Bring it on. Because my God is carrying us through this. And the promise is on the other side. And if suffering is what is necessary to bring greater glory, then make it rain. Because the sunny day is on the air coming. It is coming. Our Lord is returning. Heaven is inevitable. So make it come. We stop being afraid. We don't look at the economy and the crazy thing that it does, or the politics and all of their lies and the weird things that they do, all of the perversion in the world and think that somehow darkness has the final say. Oh, nighttime comes before the day, but the day always comes. So I'll be joyful, not in my circumstance. I'll be joyful, not because of what I'm experiencing. And praise God, I experience a lot of good things. But that's not where my joy is found. I don't just have a little joy, by the way, in who God is. I am filled with joy because of who God is. What a beautiful praise. What a great place to stand. In verse 19, we can do that, he says, because the sovereign Lord is my strength. Wow. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And he's like, this, this needs to be sung. This is a pretty fantastic thing for the director of music. Let's get this going. See, God is not only at work in the pain. You know that God is also at work in the blessing? He really is. I personally think after 20 years, almost 20 years in June, 20 years of being in ministry here at this church, I think that the test of blessing is a harder test than the test of difficulty, right? When, when things are difficult, some people fall away, right? And they question God and leave. Most people, though, eventually come to that point where they're like, no, I need, I need God in the midst of this. Help, help, help. But when life is good, when I, I don't need God to survive, do I still see his hand of blessing? Do I still cling to him? Do I still find my joy in him or do I find my joy in and the ease and the goodness that he has. That's a hard test. But God has got it both. And God just becomes our strength. So we don't look at our circumstances and say, can I overcome this because I'm such a great person? Can I handle life because I'm so powerful? Because I'm so mighty? Because I have done all these righteous things and therefore God owes me a few favors. I'm going to call him in. That doesn't become where our, our strength is. God becomes our strength. He is at work. God is at work, <laughs> and God's not going to leave us, and he's not going to abandon us, and he's loving, and he's good. And so we know that our God is going to give us grace for each moment. There are some of you that I know are going through things that I can't even fathom, how you get up in the morning and you take the next step, right? I pray for you. I, I get to walk along beside you, and I'm like, ah, but you know what? I'm not walking in your shoes, and so God hasn't given me your grace. And there are times that some of you have said, Aaron, I don't know how you do it. Well, you're not living my life, so God hasn't given you the grace to live my life. But God gives each of us the grace we need each day, doesn't he? It's new each morning, like a fresh delivery, like the old milkman comes by. Grace, fresh and delicious, to handle this day, your day. And we know that all of these things, whether good nor bad, that God is at work in our lives, 
And he's working them together, not just for our good, but for his glory, but for the good of the world, that our tiny little uh, asks, what we think God is supposed to do to make the world good, the revival in, in people's hearts, the rec- uh, reconciliation of, of relationships, the healing of bodies, the, whatever it is that we ask for, we ask too small. And that God is oftentimes at work even in the bigger. And so we trust him, and he'll carry us till we get there. And so we don't worship our circumstances. My life doesn't revolve around my circumstances anymore. There are good things that happen in my world, and I'm not saying when bad things happen, it doesn't rock me a little bit, and I'm like, oh, then we remember God. And when God becomes my strength again, it becomes joy. Because I know he's at work, and his grace is there. He's going to carry us through. He loves me. And so when I go from that point of, of fear and question, how do I get to praise? Well, there are a couple things, and I think this is the first step to it is that we find Habakkuk does he prays. He started at the very beginning, didn't he? At the very beginning of this, of this whole thing, when he was upset, he was finally he was praying to God, help these people. He finally goes to God and be like, do you even care? He talks to him. And then after God gives him his answer, he goes back in praise. And how does he begin his praise? With prayer. See, when life doesn't make sense, when God doesn't make sense, talk to him. It's proof that he exists. It's a declaration to you in your own soul that our God is present and he hears you and he loves you and he's powerful. Sometimes we need to remember that. So when you need help, talk to God. When you're scared, talk to God. When life's going so darn good and you just can't hardly even stand it, talk to God. Philippians 4 tells us this. It says, don't be anxious about anything. What? How possible could we not be anxious about anything? How about when Babylon's going to come and, you know, take everyone we know captive and destroy even the temple and all of this and everything that we thought the world's going to be washed away the way that we thought it was going to be? How could I not be anxious? Well, but in every situation, including those. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Turn to God. And you notice we don't just go to God in, his, in prayer. We go to him with, we ask, bring our requests with thanksgiving. Why are we thankful? Because life is scary? No, because God is bigger. So if I'm anxious about my finances, I go to God with thanksgiving that he's my provider. If I'm scared about, I'm anxious about my health, some bad news happened. I go to God with thanksgiving that he's the God who created bodies and he can, he can even raise the dead so he can still help me, right? If, if, I'm, if I'm anxious about relationships, I'm got, glad I have the God of reconciliation, right? I, I, that he's, if, I, if I'm anxious about making the wrong decision, I go and I praise with thanksgiving that God actually knows what's right, that he's wise and he can give me help. We bring our prayers to him, and as you bring your prayers to him, and the more we do that, the more that we will gain this peace that, get this, will surpass our understanding. Like, the world, the storm will still rage, and everyone else will be around you. It's like, why aren't you panicking? We're all panicking. This is there's a big storm. <laughs> but we're not panicked. It's kind of like when Jesus was taking a nap on a boat, and it was kind of stormy out, so much so that seasoned sailors were like, oh, we're going to die. How can you sleep at a time like this? He had it. Jesus wasn't afraid. And he calms our hearts just like he can calm the seas. So before he calms the storm on the outside, he calms the one on the inside. We pray. As we pray, the second thing is equally as important is we need to begin to ponder. This is what the prophet does. This is what we must do. We have to remember who God is. He is the Holy One. He is not like us. He's not like anything else. He is holy, which means different, unique, better than, higher than, special. 
our God can do what we cannot. He can fathom what we can't fathom because he is God. So we remember his character. We remember that he is good and he is loving. We remember what he has done throughout time, which is why it's so important that we read the text, that we see how God has worked throughout history. It is the bigger picture. But we can also remember how God has worked in our own lives as well. And so we remember his deeds, not least of which, let's recall, that he saved us. You are a living miracle, and you have experienced the miracle of rebirth. You have been saved by God's grace through faith. Your sins have been washed away, never to come back again. You have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we remember that he doesn't just the God of the, those of history and of time on the outside, but he is the God who saves us too. And we remember his promises. And his promises are never void. He promised Abraham, hey, they're going to go to Egypt, but I'm going to bring them back. This land is going to be yours. We're going to take a trip over there with some people in a month. We're going to stand in that. It's a promise kept. Because God's promises are real. And if God can do that for real estate, how much more can he do it for our spirits? How much more can he do this for this world? We remember who God is, and he does not lie. He cannot lie, because if God speaks it, it becomes true. Which leads us to the third thing, which is most important. We need to praise we don't wait for our circumstances to praise because we don't praise our circumstances. We can give thanks for our circumstances, but we praise God for who he is. And so we can praise even if the barns are empty, even if the harvest doesn't come, even if things are difficult, we know that God is still at work, he's still present, he's still powerful, and he's bringing about his good purpose. His promises are good. And so we praise God for his love, we praise God for his promise. We praise God for his faithfulness. We praise God regardless. That's where our hope comes from. That's how we live. This is how we move from that place of question to a place of prayer. It is the walk of maturity of the believer, and it makes us strong. So, do you have faith enough to praise? If you have Jesus, here's good news. Yes. <laughs> yes, you do. Now, you have to start, man, you have to have faith enough to question. It's okay. Bring your questions and concerns to God. Have faith enough to hear. Man, write his word on your heart. Right? Make sure it's there. Make sure that we, 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 we understand what he has to say. Make sure that we're drawing deep in it, right? But, uh, but then we've got to keep praying. That's why it's so important as a church that your pastor is not the only one praying for you, right? <laughs> we be praying. You've got to be talking to God. Bring your concerns, your requests, your prayers, your praise to him, and then keep pondering. It's one of the things why we come to church every week. We remember, we remind ourselves the good things God has done because his past performance is predictor of his future action, right? He is, that, he is a good God, and he's trustworthy. So continue to think about and remind yourselves what God has done and who he is, and remember what he has done in your life and the valleys he's carried you through, and then choose to keep praising with thanksgiving, Remind yourself who he is. Bring your concerns to him. And this amazing God will grant you a peace that surpasses understanding. Will give you a foundation that's stable. Will keep you from being washed here and there like babies in the ocean, right? He allows us to have stability as we mature. And will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus so we can think and feel correctly and we can trust him and we can have actual joy regardless of what this world offers. So how about you? How do you apply that? First step, it's on your connection card. I'm going to encourage you to take this this day. Can you memorize Habakkuk 
If you remember that the enemy is puffed up, right? Proudful, has their own way, things that they're going to do, right? That the desires of this world are, are not upright. That we, if we are at odds with God, we're gonna, we think we know better than God, man, we're going to miss out. But the righteous person will live by their faithfulness. Take some time to remind yourself of that because when life gets difficult, it's a great reminder that the best thing to do in the midst of the storm is not to abandon the ship. So we stick with Christ. Live by faithfulness. Choose him, even when God doesn't make sense. Pray and praise. As you do, why don't you read Habakkuk 3? It's the longest of all the chapters of Habakkuk, which will take you maybe 40 seconds. So read it. In fact, why don't you read chapters 1 through 3? Because it gives you the whole context. That'll take you, you know, maybe a minute. It's not long, but is it powerful? See how we go from questions to praise. Remind yourself again that this same God of Habakkuk is our God too. Allow his word to remind you of who he is because he has not changed. If you do, then pray and ponder and praise. And that's the third thing I'm going to ask you to do this week. This week, make a commitment. You're going to talk to God. In season, out season, when things are good, when things are bad, when the barns are full or, man, they're just empty. Right? When, when, when good things seem around the corner or you just look around the corner and you're kind of terrified well, what seems to be next. Man, pray. Right? Ponder. Remind yourself of who God is. He has not changed. And he still has you and he loves you and he does not abandon his children. And choose to praise him for who he is. Maybe that's your commitment. Something else I think you need to do is invite a friend. You know, we live in a world that's crazy and there are so many that are lost and washed in this crazy world and they need a rock to stand on. And you have that place. You have a place of stability. Why would we keep this to ourselves? If what you heard today was helpful, encouraging, or a reminder of this great God, why not invite somebody? Pray, say, God, who, who needs to hear this? And bring others, because the best way to bring God's glory is, well, to see it expand, right? And so bring this good message to others you're here this morning though and you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't have that rock, then do that now. Why on earth would you go one more day in this world untethered from anything solid? Right? Having your life just tied to whether or not things are going to be good or bad. There's a better way to live and we invite you to do it. It's been working for thousands of years. It's been time tested and our God is not going to abandon and you will be saved by God's grace faith. You don't even have to earn it. He's already done it for you. But it will require great commitment, right? It's a new way of life. It is the way of life. And if you need to take that step, please, after this message, come talk with me. I would love to, to meet with you, answer your questions, and help you take those next steps so you can begin having this great life, the abundant life that God calls us to. All right, so hopefully I've given you all time to make a commitment, a next step, faithfulness. Please write it on your connection card so I can pray for you this week. In a moment, we're going to take our offering. Please take these connection cards, and I appreciate if every one of you do it, drop it in the offering basket along with your tithes and gifts, right? Knowing that these are not just religious acts. This is a prayer of commitment to your God. When we invest in the kingdom, the kingdom of God grows in us. So make that commitment now. I pray for you as you make those commitments, and we'll have the offering. Heavenly Father, you're good. And uh, all the time, all the time you're good. <laughs> in season, out of season. You're the God of all the seasons. You're the God of all history. You're the God of, of all people. And you have always been at work. We thank you for your word that reminds us of that. We thank you for your consistency of character that, is, that has always done what you've promised. Even when it didn't make sense, like that prophecy from Isaiah we heard this morning, 
hundreds of years, almost a thousand years before you came. You reminded us that you were going to save the world by taking on sin, and it just didn't make sense to us, but you did it. And we don't see how you're going to keep your promises and, and working all things together. We know that's exactly what you do. So our trust is in you. Father, for those that are broken this morning, that are fearful, that are, are hurting, Father, we pray for your mercy and your kindness, your, your encouragement. Father, for those this morning that are rejoicing in the midst of blessing, we pray, Father, that they would be able to turn to you to give you glory for the goodness. But for all of us today, today Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to have a life filled with praise. And may our commitments and our offerings be a, just a reflection of that this morning. Would you use them to build your kingdom for your glory? We pray all this in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus.